The Coonhound Collective Podcast is brought to you by Conkeys Outdoors because we support the people who support our way of life and CZ Welding and Fabrication. Custom dog boxes built by hunters for hunters. Check these guys out today. This is your host, Jason Snurrove, and I will be your guide as we journey down the road to pleasure hunt or hitting the long trail to those great cop hunts. This is the Coon Hound Collective Podcast. He said, let's go to work. We got to get your dogs back in these dog kennels. I mean, there's just no better people than a coon hunter. There really ain't. Welcome to the Coon Hound Collective Podcast today. Today, we're going to be interviewing Mr. Brett Denny of Georgia. And he's going to be joining us via telephone, so stand by. Thank you for joining us today on the Coonhound Collective Podcast. Today, I have Mr. Brett Denny on the phone. Brett, how's it going? Pretty good. How about you? Oh, man, I can't complain. Like I said, it's a rainy day here in Missouri and can't cut no grass today, so was able to hook up with you and get this done, and I really appreciate you taking your uh, time to, to do this with me today. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell the folks a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and how did you get into coon hunting? 38 years old. I've lived in Albany, Georgia most of my life. Grew up in Leesburg, which is about 15 miles north of there. Uh, played football and baseball my whole life. Just been competitive. I moved to Shelburne, Georgia, which is about 25 miles uh, due east, I would say. Nine years ago, got an eight-year-old daughter. My wife, Christy Denny, she works for PKC. Just started coon hunting probably uh 94 i would say i think that's when i started my dad was a fireman and one of his co-workers was a big time coon hunter really didn't hunt many competitions just pleasure hunted um ricky marshall from sasser georgia um we went hunting on a friday night we treated a couple coons and i was hooked i mean it from then then on it was gun ho that's all i wanted to do almost quit baseball and football because coon hunting um i'd say a few weeks after that i got my first dog he wasn't no count trained and trained on that thing but there wasn't much hope for him he had the looks that's about it um i grew up right here where the winter classic was for years and always guided you know since that, from 94 on we guided cast and ricky would hunt a little bit and some hunts and then probably about i'd say a year after we started hunting ricky's dog got out or no, we got lost hunting one night, and the Humane Society ended up killing it with a bloody discharge. And kind of Ricky, that kind of pushed Ricky over the edge where he didn't want to hunt. And he called Daddy and told him, he said, hey, I've got this other dog here. Why don't you and Brett come get it and take it? He'll be a little bit better for you. So by this time, I had a couple of buddies growing up in high school that got in it with me. We all had dogs. Mine could tree coons, but you'd go hunting, you wouldn't tree a coon every night. He might run track and come back to your feet one night. He might get treed, so forth. So it kind of rocked on from there. Jimmy Phillips was a, a big mentor to me growing up hunting. He worked for UKC as a field rep then. He gave me this blue tick that was about 12 years old. She was deaf, and uh, she barked more than anything you've ever heard in your life. She barked from the time you got her out of the kennel to you put her up i mean she barked you didn't know when she was treed and i remember hunting a youth hunt and uh i i minused out i had about 400 minus she ended up treating the only coon on that cast but 
it was too late. I had done minus out. I realized I needed to find something else. So I remember summer of 98, I believe. I worked all summer. My granddad had a big land outfit. And uh, I worked all summer. I told him, I said, look, I'm going to buy me a good dog at the end of the year. You just pay me at the end of the year. So I was thinking, well, shoot, I'll have two or $3,000 saved up. Well, at the end of the summer, my, my cousin was saying the same way. He was saving up for something. I can't remember. But he uh, he said, all right, it's the last day of summer, so I'm going to go ahead and pay y'all. I remember him paying us $300. And I was like, golly, all summer. And we probably didn't work eight hours the whole summer. We played and probably caused more problems than we ever, ever did right. But <laughs> we um, – I remember looking on the internet and finding this dog and a guy by the name of Terry Doctor, he brought her down here. She was a walker dog and it was one of Lester Nance's last bred dogs that him and Trent and them had bred. And she was built like a, a mountain lion, just off game dog. I mean, she was built real good. And she was started. We started hunting her, uh, got her going real good, started breaking away, started going to some hunts, getting these lessons. And... I remember going down to Fowlstown, Georgia, to a club called Coon Bottom, and we had about 12 minutes left in the cast, and I ended up winning the cast, and I was hooked on the competition world ever since. Um, I probably hunted, I'd say I probably hunted 30 casts, maybe 40 casts, before I won my first cast. Um, so it kind of rocked on from there. Me and my dad, we got a bunch of dogs. Um Throughout the years there, we pushed. We, I ended up winning a pretty good bit. Um, she like, I placed second in the Winter Classic in 2002 with her. Won the night champion or grand night champion portions of a lot of state hunts with her. We had a dog that we bought from there, uh, Deep South's little hardwood buster. He treat coons behind dogs. I mean, you cut him loose, and these dogs would be six, 700 yards, and old buster would be 50, 60 yards behind them just popping coons like squirrels. Went on from there. Done a little winter with him, and I think I got him in at St. Jude maybe one year up there. Um, we we started pushing a dog that Frank Johnson was going to push behind Slugger. Uh, he was the same cross as Slugger, just two-year difference. He had one eye, and that kind of pushed Frank and them off for the breeding purposes. And I took charge. The guy down in Leesburg owned him, LeVan Kennedy. And we partnered up. I won just about anything a dog could win in UKC with him. Um, we we ended up, me and LeVan parted ways on partnership, and we bought him out. And um, we ran the Perina race, I think, in 2005. Ended up stuck it in the Walker Breed. Should, probably should have won it. Uh, probably should have kept on going. We slowed down a little bit. Just took a little break and probably shouldn't have. But um, pushed him for a while. Kind of got out. For about six to eight months, slowed down a little bit, just being a, a teenager, I guess, and testing to be in my college years. And uh, we, I see, I started, AKC started back hard, I think, in 2007, and we pushed Junior for one of the National Mail Race and won the Walker Breed. And then I started running the plantation not long after that and kind of put cone hunt aside and run these bird dogs for a little bit and realized. My heart and soul was in these coon dogs, and I started back hunting again hard, which I hunted through those years, but I started back hunting hard in 2012. Got hooked up. A buddy of mine called me and said, hey, man, I got this guy that lives beside me that they're good people. They they want their dog pushed up and down the road, and I told them I knew the man. They had the dog, and they've got the dog. They're just needing the handler, and I said, well, 
Yeah, I guess so. So I hunted a male dog for him for a little bit, and he was okay. I mean, he he made some trees. Uh, their daughter could hunt him in any hunt and win anything in the world. She ended up winning the youth nationals in 2012, maybe or 13, one of the years. But um, wasn't the type that you could push in these big hunts. So they said, well, we'll try this one. And I hunted her a little bit and did a little tweaking on her. I hunted her for about two or three weeks and did some changes and went to the Lone Star for our first little deal. And I think I got in two nights. I won my cast every night I was there and got a truck ticket. And I was back hunting PKC pretty hard from there. And it just started from there. I've been going to these hunts for about 11, 12 years pretty hard. Started, we hunted Tammy. I think we won the state race in 13. I won the state championship in 13 with her. Um, doubled her up at the world finals that year, semifinals of the truck hunt, just went all over with her. I mean, and it wasn't just me. I mean, anybody could hunt, anybody that put their hands on her seemed like they could win with her. I had a couple buddies that hunted her when I couldn't hunt her, they could win with her. They decided that they were going to take a break and I kind of liked the little gig I had. So I worked a partnership kind of deal, getting just a handling job with, um, Bill Rector, which owned Banker's Big Easy at the time and partnering up with him and hunted, and um, we pushed easy and ended up winning a state race, I think, in 15, maybe, and my wife learned everything from going with me, and she's like, look, I'm, this seems like this is the only way I'm going to see you, so I'm going to go with you, and uh, she started hunting a little bit. My parents, you know, on the weekends, my parents would keep her daughter and my in-laws. She hit the road with me a little bit, and she had pretty good success. She ended up winning the state championship in 2015 with Tammy, and uh, just kind of she she won everywhere she went. Uh, where she went, I mean, she I guess she said she learned everything from me. So went on from there, and Bill decided he was ready for a break. We had bought a, a female, which uh, at the time was Hardwood Ease from Buddy Deletri. She was a nice young dog. Took her to the Super Stakes and was disgusted. I think I won one cast with her, and I thought she was a overpowering one-year-old. We had an offer from White Rike buyer, and Bill called and told me, "Said Brad, I just can't refuse it. We got, I, I got to sell her." And I said, "Okay, I understand." So White ended up buying her, and I think he put her in some hunts, and I think they finished her to a grand, and they might have won three hundred dollars with her in PKC at the time, and. I really can't remember exactly what I was hunting in between there from selling her to getting her back. I think I was just hunting some of my own stuff then. Not much, just hitting little small hunts here and there. And then, no, no, me and David Dizatel started hunting a little bit together, partnered up on some dogs, and I hunted them for a few years. David was good to me. All of them's been good to me. I mean, I, I can't complain about any of them. They've all treated me like family. Uh, they've been great aspects of the family to me as father figures in life and just everything. I couldn't I couldn't say nothing bad about any of them. And um, I guess about a year after that, White had called. And he said, hey, this female sitting here, I need some help. Um, Christy wants her back. That'll take give her something to hunt at the hunt. Can she come? I said, yeah. So she did. And then she started hunting a little bit. And I missed my old dog. I took her from her and uh, took her to the world hunt. And I told you wrong. I actually was hunting for Jerk Corley at that time. David Dizatel was after the fact. But um, me and Jerk had been hunting old stylish Homer that Brandon Tony used to have. Um, and then Jarrett was ready to sell, and 
we sold to BJ Goins and them at the time. And I told Brandon, I said, this dog is ready for the world hunt. And that's the year he placed second at the world hunt. I think he got him about two weeks from me. Just kind of hunted for the public, took a puff in here and there. And that's when the Dizzitel thing started. And then Wyatt, once Wyatt started, uh, they cut my job. So I told Wyatt, I said, look, if you want me to do this full time, I'm, I'm down if you're down. And we pushed this female for about five years, four years, something like that, uh, all over the country. I've done a lot. Most of her, her money's been nickel and dimed. I think she's got probably 23,000 lifetime. Um, she's been good. She's been a family dog. She's been around since she was a baby. And uh, me and White kind of parted ways for a little bit. He was cutting back and decided he was going to do his own little thing. So slow down a little bit. And he got her back. I hunted a dog for him for named Power Ranger and uh, done a lot of winning with him. And he got both of them back. And I started hunting. After that, I bought a dog. Me and Cliff Goodrich out of Louisiana bought a dog. I had been watching this dog around the house and just he had all the talent in the world. He just didn't have the person behind him. The people that owned him were good people and knew what was going on, but they were hunting dogs for wide at the time too. And they didn't know what they had. So I text my buddy, Tony Clay, and I told Tony, I said, you want to sell Hick? He said, why do you want this thing? I said, man, I'm asking you a question. He said, yeah, $1,500. I think he was six years old. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to come at your house today and I'm going to get this dog. He said, all right. So I give him the money and I take the dog to the hunt the first night. And I went, I think I went $400. And I sent Tony a message and I said, buddy, I'm just telling you, you're my friend, but this is the start of something. And you're going to see, I promise you, I know what you got over, what you had over there. And uh, I rocked on for nine months just hunting pro classics and smaller stuff around here and one right at $9,200 with him. And he ended up dying on me. He had lung flukes and I found him kind of non-responsive in the woods. We took him to Auburn. He ended up dying. And me and Dizitel picked back up where we left off. And we bought a dog. After Hick died, I told him, I said, man, these dogs can cut the smaller stuff, but they're not going to be able to cut that, that higher level. We've got to find something. He said, we'll find something. And as soon as he did, Scott Engel and them had shared a, a post. Uh, Shane Stevenson had a dog called Mojo's Danger for sale. And I called Shane, and we worked it out. And I told my wife, she was working in Columbus on a job, I said, hey, I need you to go pick this dog up for me when you leave Columbus. It's not that far. Well, it was like three and a half hours from there. I didn't want to tell her that. And she, she Googled it and after she didn't have no choice but to say, yes, I'll go get the dog. So we didn't tell me it was three and a half hours. I said, well, we'll just go get my dog, please. So she brought him home and I started hunting him. He was a coon trigger. Probably had more coons than anything I've ever hunted. Uh, get struck good. Stayed on the ground a little more than I like, but he had them coons. And, um, hunted him for a good year and a half, two years, and Malcolm Reigns, which is Ike's right-hand man, said, hey, I know you got these two dogs there. You've been interest, interested in selling them. So I said, yeah. Well, yeah. I owned another dog named Ricky Bobby, and I'd done some winning with him. Dizitel owned half of him, and I said, yeah. He said, we really want you on the team, but we got to buy the dogs. I, I, was, I was like, well, I'll come, but I want my dogs to come. And he said, okay. So they bought the dogs and uh, we pushed them a little bit. And last May, 
uh, Ike called me and said, hey, Marty's mad at Dan. And I don't know what to do with him. Do you want him? And I said, well, yeah, that's a no-brainer. I said, Marty just come off winning 22 or 23,000 with him at the uh, Black IP in Texas. And I think Marty won six or 7,000 more in Indiana a few months before. And I said, yeah, no, no questions about it. I want him. So he sent him and an English dog down here, which I had hunted with the English dog a few times before. And he told me just to pick whichever one and whichever one I didn't want, let my buddy Tyler hunt. So kind of, I always been favored to a black dog. I've always liked them. Uh, I used to hunt a dog for H.L. Myers for a little bit and some few hunts to get him qualified for the world every year and stuff when H.L.'s health got down. Uh, so I was like, yeah, I'll take the black dog and gave Tyler the English dog. Well, Tyler thought he had a better dog. And at the time, I didn't know what I really had. But I just know that he had hit some big licks and I hunted him and the next month I got him, I think I, I got a truck ticket in the month of June with him. We won over $1,100 that month, and he just makes things easy. You cut him loose. Um, he's always kind of been mixed. He's going to get a coon tree to himself. He's a big first-end strike dog. Going to get a piece of yours after that, maybe a piece of yours after that, and then be by himself again and have another coon. Um, he just—he was just a winner. He was hard to beat. I had them coons, and I just have had real good success with him. Um, a few hunts I've went to that I thought he was really ready for that I was just disappointed in, but I mean, just you can't win them all. He uh, won the black and tan breed last year. I think he's got right over 50,001. We got in the finals of the ACHA Little World Hunt this year. I just had real good success with him. Uh, he's He's been a winner since he's been here, and he's been good to this family. He's been good to me. And he's as close as that you could find to a walker dog, I believe, you'll ever find. Um, he's got a lot of heart, and he's getting a little age on me. It's got me a little worried. So I'm told. I told Ike we had to find another black dog. So we well, started looking. Well, I'm gonna jump in real quick because um, that's part of the reason why I reached out to you is because most people know that I prefer a good black dog if you can find one um out there and i and i have a couple of females here here in my kennel and i've got some english dogs in my kennel but you know i've seen this this dan dog on facebook and kind of on the pkc boards and i thought well this this guy would be a good guy to talk to but leading up to dan before ike um predominantly these dogs have been walker dogs that you've been hunting correct uh, yes yes yeah um we're we're gonna take a break right here but when we come back after we hear from our sponsors i I want you to talk about what it takes what 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 are you looking for to get that top tier dog out out there because you know people that maybe don't hunt on that level don't quite understand what to look for and you know, maybe somebody's right there on the edge and and they, and they want to move to that level. Maybe that can maybe that can help them give some ideas of what they need to be hunting for. Hey guys, this is Jason over at the Coonhound Collective Podcast. Is your dog box starting to get war? Maybe it's starting to get a little crack like mine is. Maybe you've just been thinking about it's time to upgrade to a to a new box, but you've asked your buddies and you're just not real sure what direction to go in. Well, let me help you out here. Go check my friends out 
at CZ Welding and Fabrication Custom Doll Boxes and Aluminum Products on Facebook. You can check out all their custom work they do there and their designs that they do. If you don't see something that you don't exactly like there, reach out to Nathan at 540-810-5439, 540-810-5439, or send him a message through the Facebook page. I bet he can fix you up. Don't wait till fall to get that new doll box. Go ahead, get that doll box now. Get you uh, get you something looking good in the back of your truck that, that you can be proud of and that you can haul your dog around in comfort. Check my friends out at CZ Welding and Fabrication. You won't go wrong. Dog boxes built by hunters for hunters. Get yours today. CZ Welding and Fabrication. Okay, we're back. Uh, Brett, won't you go ahead and tell us what it what it, what you're looking for when you're looking for that top tier dog to uh, push in these big hunts? The main thing I start looking for is heart, drive, their coon tree and abilities. I want them to be able to tree any kind of coon they can. I mean, whatever they come to, let's tree it. Let's do it quick, fast, and in a hurry. I like a dog to get open pretty quick. Um, the main thing, have them coons. I've hunted some dogs that my, my theory is if you can't get treed, you can't win. And these trailing dogs are a lot more accurate. They're going to have coons, but I like my action pack dogs at the end of the day. It, you can win with either one of them. The main thing I, I see is doing your homework and make sure you're prepared to go wherever you're going to go and make sure your dog's got plenty of rest after you've done your homework. Um, a lot of people, I mean, dogs are different. I've, I've had dogs here that, You've got to hunt seven nights a week and go straight to a hunt. And I've got dogs that you, you hunt two or three weeks hard, hard, getting ready, and you give them three or four days off before you go. Just all dogs are different. And, uh, but the main thing I really look for is heart. They ain't got heart. They ain't got much to me. I mean, that, that's got to have a lot of heart and desire and drive for me. Yeah, well, I can, I can definitely see that because, uh, you know, early rounds, late rounds, they, they, they've got to go. So, what do you what kind of dog do you like? You like a dog that uh, that gets by themselves, stay by themselves, or a dog like Dan that get by himself and then maybe get a piece of another one, um, or do you like a dog when you unhook him they they are in there deep, you know, before they before they ever get on a coon? I like one to stay to itself, trace coons. This the whole deal with Dan about getting with the other dogs a little bit. I've started to like it because no matter what you do, you're always in that game. It's either going to be good or bad. I mean, you're always in the game, though. I've, I've become, over the last year, I, I've kind of looked past the covering a little bit, and um, I really like the more action-packed deal than more of a loner, um, which now that he's getting a little age and he's been pushed for a year, he's getting a lot more independent. And, I mean, he has a lot more coons when he stays to himself. But at the end of the day, those dogs that, they get a coon tree pretty quick and get a, get a piece of yours and a piece of yours and be by themselves again. They're tough to beat. They're winners. I mean, that's just, there ain't much to say about it. They're hard at the end of the day. When you look back, no matter how many times they cover, if they're training a coon or two by themselves, they're the ones that are hard to beat. The people are going to say, man, you just can't hardly beat this dog. And so I've got a custom for both ways. I really don't have a preference now. I don't guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, you know, I've not handled any dogs on, on the level that you have and some other people have for sure, but, uh, I like mine a certain way and, uh, mainly probably because if there wasn't a competition hunt tomorrow, uh, I'm still going to go coon hunting tomorrow night 
whether there is or not. So I, I want to be able to enjoy that dog while I'm out there. And I, I know I've talked to some some friends of mine that's got some some dead loner getting their deep dogs, and you know they they tell me they they're not very fun to pleasure hunt because you know everybody split up and you're here and there and everywhere. And I, I mean I I've got one here at the house. She's she's getting some age on her and. She usually is in the pack on the first dump with the first tree, and then she tries to get off by herself, and you know, then she may be back in on the second one. Kind of, kind of like what you you talked about, Dan. And maybe that's an age thing. I I don't know. I got her as she was older in life, but yeah, it's definitely definitely a different different world out there than than what I was accustomed to to hunting originally uh, back years ago, for sure. Right when I grew up hunting, everything was together, I and mean, you you go to these hunts, you wouldn't see a dog together. I mean, you wouldn't see a dog by itself. You see them all together, and now you're gonna you're gonna see more dead loners now than you than you did back then for sure. I think there was better dogs back then too, though. But there's some really good hounds out there now that are really tearing circuit up, and most of them are dead loners. Um, it's just whatever you prefer. But like I said, I've got accustomed to both ways now. So yeah. Well, while we're talking about up and down the road to these competition hunts and kind of all over the country what won't you talk about what what goes into preparing you and your family and your work and and kind of the 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 successes and the strains of being on the road uh running these big hunts right it's it's pretty tough uh my daughter's eight years old she uh she loved it just as much as i do i think and i don't get to take her as much as i want to down here in georgia these snakes in the summertime and school nights she goes she gets to go probably i'd say at least three or four times a month on the weekends or something when we're home and stuff um my wife recently took a job with pkc working with shane and roger dell um back in february full-time and it makes it a little bit easier it's tough being away you miss a lot of family functions you miss a lot of friends stuff you miss a lot of time away from your family and and it's 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 hard at times it's got its good and it's got its bad I think I was gone from January 1st to, I'm going to say, the last, the first week in April, I think the weekend before the Super Stakes, is, I was gone every weekend except one. Um, I was fortunate enough to, I run a big landscaping outfit here in Albany that allows me to, in the wintertime, I kind of get to play. But it, it makes for day, long days and long nights. You come, you come home from work and you want to spend time with your family, you eat supper, you still got to go out and clean dog kennels, do stuff around the yard and do stuff around the house. And you hunt till one or two in the morning, and then you repeat. Uh, it puts a strain, you know, on your marriage, on everything really. It's it can be a lot. It can be real stressful at times. But you get you get a good woman like I've got that loves you, and supports everything you do. It makes a world of difference. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have the support from my wife, my daughter, my in-laws, my parents, just my whole family. That's kind of supported me through the whole deal of getting back to hunting pretty hard. And these bigger hunts and being gone and i couldn't thank them enough without them it could, i couldn't do what i dreamed of doing when i was a kid that's it, it makes it tough it makes it real tough yeah well i can uh i can definitely attest to that i've I done some dog training whenever i was younger and i live not too far from you and uh, I, i'm doing trying to get some puppies of my own up and going and you know you, you kind of got to lay out there with them and you, you got to have somebody here at the house that you know understands and supports what you, what you're doing and and the vision that you have you know going forward that's right that's right and and you know 
I've I've been coon hunting since like I said ninety four or ninety six and uh, I've come to realize I don't think there's no better people in the world than a bunch of coon hunters. I've had some things we had Hurricane Michael come through here in eighteen or nineteen. People I was hunting for didn't hesitate. They were here helping. Uh I had a few buddies that coon hunt from Alabama, uh Jamie Wynn. I mean he, he was there the next day. Uh he said, Is everything good? I said, Man, we got a tree on the house but other than that, everything's good, and I can't see my dog kennels. He said, well, I'll be there in a little bit. You need anything, and he shows up with a cooler full of ice, drinks, anything you could imagine, and a chainsaw, and he said, let's go to work. we got to get your dogs back in these dog kennels. I mean, there's just no better people than a coon hunter. There really ain't. Uh, I see a time of need when people need stuff, we, we show up, and it means a lot. I've got friends all over the world that I think the world of, and – I think it's a great sport to be a part of. Well, I definitely will agree with that. I, as fierce competitors as we can be, uh, you know, when those snaps are un, unsnapped at night, when the rubber meets the road and a fellow hunter needs needs a hand, it seems like everybody shows up to help for sure. That's right. That's right. So uh, you said said Dan's getting a little age on him there. It, is, uh, is he open uh, to the public for breeding or are y'all doing any breeding with him yet or, or y'all we we just started opening it up uh, about two weeks ago uh, we, we ran a, a stud page ad um, it'll be I think next month it'll be an American Cooner and Coonhound Bloodlines and I think we're just going to run every month for the next year but that's what we're after we're after a breeding program see what he's going to throw he's got uh, I think he's got one puppy on the ground and we don't know where he's at or nothing but um we're just gonna start it wide open and see if we can't carbon copy what we got here okay while we're talking about that subject won't you go ahead and kind of tell us what dan is out of so if people are not familiar they kind of understand what he's out of dan man you just put me on the spot there i ain't no black dog man but i'm just gonna give me a minute here and i'll find his pedigree and i'll tell you <laughs> he goes back to uh some Snickner's blood, old blood, jet. He goes back to, on the top side, his daddy was, um, he goes back to all the smoking Jake and smoking crows, smoking Timber and smoking Joe on the top side. On the bottom side, Hobo's Hoss and Kansas Jr. And Black June. I've heard of a few of these dogs, but a few of these I haven't. So I'm not real familiar with the black and tan breed, like I said, but it's a lot of old stuff that you did you did read about back in the days yeah well i i thought i had remember seeing some kansas uh stuff in his pedigree whenever i was looking at it uh, and uh, blaze bowers he, he doesn't live too terribly far from where I, I currently live now i know he's has a big influence on those kansas dogs for sure right right so um what's uh do you got something a, a black dog there in the pen that that you think may may be his replacement, or, or are you just kind of looking around for something, or do you have any plans for the future? We're just kind of piddling right now, and uh, I've actually was hunting cowboy, hot new cowboy, the one Michael Ward hunted last year a little bit, um, trying to give him a little break. I had been hunting him a little bit. I've been hunting. Is it good to you, Melvin? While Dole was out for a little bit, and. Um, yeah, we're looking for a replacement. I've got two females here to breed, but nothing, nothing far as hunting wise. I've actually got a, a older. Well, she's not old. She's a younger female. I've got an older female here out of just some local stuff, and then I've got a. 
a younger female that goes back to Tennessee Fiddler, uh, semen pup. So we're looking forward to breeding them. They both come in heat in July. So hopefully we're going to have two good litters in July and kind of see where we can go from there. Um, he, like I said, he is offered at stud right now. If any, anybody's interested, all they got to do is contact. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, we covered a wide range of, of time there, but previous to, to, uh, to Dan, I, I know Dan just from looking has been really pushed hard into the PKC stuff. Had, had you always pushed that hard in PKC or was you kind of mixed in both? I, I grew up hunting UKC. To, like I said, 2007, I started hunting AKC. I hunted maybe four hunts a year PKC up until then. I think my, I, I was a member in 2002. I, I hunted a little local club hunts there. and They had an added purse hunt in Moultrie, Georgia every year, and I'd go to it. But I, other than that, I really never hunted PKC hard until 2012. Um, I had good success in UKC and AKC and got to the age where, where money, money, money was good didn't have the daddy paying the way and figured it was a good way if i could have the success in the pkc world that i had in the ukc and akc world then i'd do pretty good and um i think i've won probably around 82 or eighty-three thousand since 2012 so working a full-time job and, and doing this kind of as a side gig I, I think i've done pretty good i've got a lot of accomplishments that i want i want to I've got a lot of goals to make. I've got a lot of dreams. <laughs> I've got, like I said, I've got a lot of accomplishments, um, but I've got a lot of dreams to chase, and I'm gonna chase them until I make them. So um, we're gonna keep on rolling. Well, you definitely got to have a a vision for direction. That's for sure. To to keep pressing forward, uh, and I think that's important for for anybody out there. As a as a handler. For somebody, do, do you prepare different when it's somebody else's dog versus your dog, or or is there any any differences uh, in that? No, I still I still hunt five six nights a week and prepare just like it was my dog. I mean these these guys that pay, they take care of you. They're like family. You just you treat them a special way. They they treat you a special way. And I was raised, you know, it, do it. You, you do people right, and I do my part. And they do theirs, and we just kind of the same preparation, whether it's mine or somebody else. I'm there to win, and just no, really no difference. Yeah, well, I I usually ask anybody that handles uh, dogs or somebody that question, um, n- not really to to put them on the spot, but you know, I don't know when when I before I had my own business when I worked for somebody, I, I probably worked harder you know at trying to make their company succeed than i than i've had at mine for sure um just just, you know trying to trying to be respectful of theirs and being a good steward or something that's right and i mean these dogs are like children to us i mean they're all family dogs my wife and kids play with them just about every day so i mean either way they're not mine or they're somebody else's they're treated like family here so well before we get to the end here, do you, do you have a, a good coon hunting story for us? Something 
something funny or serious that's happened to you? Hey guys, this is Jason over at the Coonhound Collective Podcast. I'm here today to tell you about one of our sponsors, Conkey's Outdoors. Whether you need a few dog collars or the whole setup, they can fix you up. They have a wide range of products from hound hunting to fishing. My friends over at Conkey's Outdoors can help you out. You can order online at conkeysoutdoors.com. Call them at 904-692-1568, 904-692-1568, or if you're in the Hastings, Florida area, go by and see them. Again, that's at conkeysoutdoors.com because we support people who support our way of life. Uh, well, I've, I've actually got two. One of them's kind of funny and the other one's kind of scary, but uh, I guess about four years ago, we were hunting one night, me and Tony Clay and Justin Stokes. and Tony had sat down against this tree. Now, me and Stokes, it was kind of an embankment, and we were standing up, and we were talking, and we were, dogs were boohooing. It's the middle of the summertime. It was probably 90 degrees. It was hot. It was humid. It was July. And Justin says, uh, don't move. I said, what do you mean? He said, look at Tony. Tony was sitting on about a five-and-a-half-foot rattlesnake. His head was on one side, and his tail was on the other. And I told Tony, I said, man, you, you can't move. I don't know what to do. And I've got a defibrillator in my heart. I got it put in when I was about 21. And I hate snakes, and that thing will go. I feel like it's going to go off every time I see one. But uh, I told Tony, I said, man, pause. Don't do not do nothing. Let me think about this. So I sat there about 30 seconds. I said, man, I don't know, but one thing to do, and that's just get up and run. And he got up, and that snake went one way. I don't. I, I think he stunned that snake when he sat down on him. It's a wonder he didn't get bit then. But uh, he beat and beat and beat, and we finally killed that snake. <laughs> and uh, needless to say, I don't think I've ever sat on a log or on the ground in these swamps since. Uh, <laughs> But to hear Tony tell that story would be pretty good because he is, he was, I don't even know what could be running through his mind when he just knew he was sitting on this rattlesnake. Well, I can tell you one thing I don't miss from Southeast Alabama and Southwest Georgia. And that is that right there is the rattlesnakes because they are everywhere. And yeah, my defibrillator would have been going off for sure. <laughs> but there's, there's always a lot more stories. You just you forget about them you'll you'll they'll come back to you one day you're sitting around somewhere and you'll remember them but that's that's one that stood out with me from day one that i can remember and me and i guess as a kid me and my buddy of mine were hunting one time and we seen this light in this field and i said let's go talk to him and we we didn't see the light no more and i i don't know we were young we probably had a little bit to drink then um but we uh we never seen that light again and all he was telling me is about this old woman that walks around the county with a lantern so Needless to say, I probably didn't go coon hunting for about two or three weeks because I just thought this woman with that lantern walking around in these woods was where I hunted at. And then we got over that scare, but there's always stories. You'll hear them for the rest of your life. Yeah, I think think if you spend any amount of time in the woods, uh, daytime or nighttime, but especially nighttime, uh, especially coon hunting, it seems to a lot of times draw a group of people in because you don't have to you know, sit still, be quiet, don't move type thing. I think that that really presents itself to, to bring about some, some stories and, and some serious ones and, and some, some funny ones too. Right, right. Well, Brett, before we sign off here, is there anybody that you want to thank or anything else you want to add there before we uh, before we call it good? We, we've been at it for almost an hour. Well, like I said, I want to thank you for having me and um, hope that some people will listen and can really realize and juggle what what it is what it takes in life to work a full-time job and go to these hunts and and be supportive of your family uh, i like to thank my wife my in-laws my parents ike rainy malcolm rains just everybody being supportive couldn't ask for no better so that's like i said thank you for having me 
and maybe we can do this again. Yeah, well, hey, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you, you're like me. We we both kind of in the same line of work, and when, when the when the getting's good, you got to go. And I sure appreciate you cutting out a little time today to to spend it with us here and talk about your uh, success with coon hunting and and some of the dogs you had. I, I really do appreciate it. And I want to thank you for 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 doing that. And um, if you're listening and you enjoyed this out there go over to apple podcast and leave us a review or head over to facebook or instagram at the coonhound collective and leave us a comment until next time we will see you then thanks guys for listening to the coonhound collective podcast today we really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to listen to the podcast if you don't mind head over to facebook and give us a like and head over to instagram and give us a follow it's both at the coonhound collective also if you would like to reach us here at the coonhound collective you can reach us at the Collective at gmail.com. If there's someone that you would like to hear on the podcast or a product that you would like to hear talked about, please send it to the Coonhound Collective at gmail.com. Thanks again. Have a great day.